0: Welcome to Dialogue on Teaching, Wabash Center's podcast series. I am Nancy Lynn Westfield, Director of the Wabash Center. Paul Myrie and Paul Utterbach are in the Sound Engineers booth. It is my pleasure to welcome to the conversation today two guests. First, Grace Gow, Professor of Ethics, and the Sano Chair of Pacific and Asian American Theology at Claremont School of Theology, and Joy Ann McDougal, Associate Professor of Systematic Theology. Candler School of Theology, Emory University. Welcome, Grace and Joanne, to the conversation. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you. So,
0: thanks we for are, having us. We are interested in talking about um, a grant project that you all um, have had wild experience with. I'm going to use the I'm going to use the word wild experience with, um, and you entitled your grant project "Teaching at the Intersections: Reimagining Feminist, Womanist, Asian, Latin, and Indigenous Theological Pedagogies." So let's start there. How did the project get started? Joy, Joy, start with the origins. How did the project get started?
1: Yeah, we. Um, I think uh, for a long time, I've been thinking about this issue that um, we teach both um, as scholars, we live at the intersections and we teach at the intersections of many changing demographics, as well as um, race, ethnicity, um, class at our institutions, but we don't always get a chance to step back and think about um, what it is that we're doing, where we've been placed in those intersections, and also um, how do we actually adjust our pedagogies to um, think about the creative challenges that when we are in classrooms where the material is not only about um, feminist, womanist uh, pedagogies, um, but that actually our students are standing at these intersections. So that's where it got started and, um, and gathering um, mid-career scholars, people have been doing this for a while across the US from different demographics themselves um, in Canada and Central America. We didn't know each other before, largely. So that's how it got, uh, I think it was the, the beginnings of it. Um,
0: and how did you pull Grace into the conversation or how did the two of you come to collaborate?
2: So uh, the other PI is Elizabeth Mandolfo, and I did not know anything about the rationale until I got an email saying we are putting together this project based on, you know, what you've been doing at Claremont School of Theology. Would you like to come aboard? And like Joy said, I knew a portion of the other potential uh, folks, I think everyone knew at least one person, but I don't think there was one person who knew everyone. Mm -hmm. And so that itself, my experience was that it was a very curated group of women um, and it was fantastic.
0: So keep going with the details. So you had a great idea, you pulled together, a group, a group of people were pulled together for this exciting conversation. Tell us about your approach and methodology, right? What did, what did you do in the, in the project?
1: Yeah, we thought um, we hard and revised along the way about ways in which um, everybody could both present a case study um, and also facilitate one and that we would have a, you know, a significant amount of time for us to just um, brainstorm, share experiences. I think that's one of the things that was important Is kind of an implicit curriculum in this. Um, we knew that we had some common threads of what we were experiencing. We were often the only faculty member or one of two that were in these teaching at the intersections. So we wanted to figure out where those commonalities were. So that's what we did. And we found out that we couldn't do just, um, we couldn't do two case studies in an hour. That wasn't gonna happen. So all of a sudden we were, um, could we be on Zoom for 90 minutes? Um, and happily everyone agreed. So that's, that's, and we met once a month. Um, and uh, we also found um, some time that was really important, I think for all of us, to sort of check in where we were. I think that was we do this in the classroom, but I think that was a surprise. We had a lot of things going on in the in our institutions and in our home family lives. So that we needed time for that as well.
2: If I could add to that, um so Grace, most please, of yes, yeah, so most of us um, some of us had taught case studies. We had assigned them in our classes, but I think the vast majority of us had never written them before. So I was someone who was like, oh my gosh, will you train us how to do this? Because I don't know what I'm doing. Right. And we all had that common experience and we were given a model and given some parameters, you know, you can anonymize. So these case studies might be presented in other contexts, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, In our first meeting, We also set parameters, right? Because again, not everyone knew everyone. So we needed to set ground rules. And so we talked about, this is not supposed to be a performative space. We are really here for one another. We wanna learn from one another. We can, you know, build from commonalities, but we will not assume sameness. We have to respect difference. We're going to do Vegas room rules where what's said in the space stays in the space, you know, that type of thing. So like kind of norm setting of how we're going to go. And like Joy said, mm-hmm. as um, as our sessions continued... I personally, like, so looked forward to the check-in because people were not just sharing about what was happening in their classrooms, but what was happening in their lives, child care, elder care, institutional crises, you know, that type of thing. So we really did become a community, you know, virtually, right, month to month.
0: Well, and the networking, right, the, the making of friends, the deepening of collegial relationships is so important. Yes. Um, at any time, but particularly now in this 2023, whatever you know, in this 21st century malaise that we're working in. Mm -hmm. Talk more about the case study approach because Wabash Center is very interested in in assisting people with this approach because the approach is underutilized in theological education, underutilized in religious studies, underutilized in higher education in general. Mm -hmm. So, did, were you glad you did case studies? You know what I mean? I Some people were more familiar than others with the approach, but it, did it turn out to be a, a approach that was worthwhile and brought some depth to the conversation?
1: Absolutely, and I found it ironic that I have been teaching for 20 years and I've been in the class where my students have done verbatims and case studies, but I myself had never done a case study. So it was a very interesting okay. turning of the tables like Grace had. Some people had and some people used them as um, a pedagogical tool in their classrooms, but I had never written one. So um, I found it very helpful. Um, one thing that we did, we decided not to impose a certain rubric. So they were very different in um, which has its strengths because uh, people were coming from very different seminary settings. Um, some were denominational settings, some were university related settings. and one was longest online um, from Central America, and she was teaching wholly online. So I think um, you know we had to sort of stretch the format, I think, um, to meet people's needs and what they talked about. But, um, it was, it was very, uh, you know, as we, well, I'll just say, as we were thinking about, um, uh, bundling them together, I was surprised as we came back through, you know, when you do them each one after another, um, where the common threads been, but that moment where we actually looked at all eight or nine of them and said, um, here are the threads. And we had a consultant Mm -hmm. come in, Um, Dr. Kwok came in and helped us identify those threads. It was really helpful as a synthesizing moment in the grant.
0: Grace, what about you? Did you like the case studies?
2: I did, I did. Again, I've taught um, case studies for uh, papers, right? For my but like Joy said, I had never myself written one before. And I found the exercise of anonymizing myself in my institution very helpful. Like, so how does one understand my case? Well, you need to know that we are a progressive seminary on the West Coast. Okay, well, how many of those are there, right? You know, so that you can do uh-huh. some process of elimination and you you talk about denominational affiliation. So how do you anonymize in such a way to protect yourself and your students but say the key things that the reader needs to know in under in order to understand why the the problem. There was always some sort of issue. Like what what was it? A conflict? Was it a two students uh, you know having some sort of conflict and wanting the professor to intervene? Was it a gap between what the institution wanted and what the students wanted, or you know whatever? But you needed to understand the institutional context in order to understand what the case was. And mm-hmm. um, the other thing I thought that was helpful is um Joy and Liz guided us in such a way where um someone wrote a case, someone else was like the what's the word the facilitator of it. But the the actual discussion it wasn't immediately to problem solving it wasn't like if you were this professor you know what would you <laughs> right. have done right. it, it, you're not, you not know, trying like, to fix situations right. right you're not trying to fix that's anything. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we're tra- we're raising questions you know where some people are like sh- oh my gosh and then there was this um sorry i i don't know if i'm getting ahead of myself but one of the biggest um interesting turns for me is that the facilitators started to ask about our effective response. How are we as readers receiving these cases? Like some of us, I mean, I I don't want to use this word lightly, but it's almost like we were being... Re traumatized, like, oh my god, I went through a situation like this, and it was really difficult for me, right? So, what was our own affect, right, Mm -hmm. in receiving these cases, knowing that they're not identical to what you yourself went through? Mm -hmm. And that was so, so Lynn, to the point of your thinking that case studies is underutilized, I would say that we found it to be a really useful and powerful thing, and also they were short they were less than two pages usually. I think the shortest one was two paragraphs, but it was enough to provide, you know, the the content, right? For the, the discussion to follow. So he- helping
0: your group, training your group, training yourselves to think pedagogically, right? Uh, it within context as, because pedagogy doesn't float in the ethers, right? It is contextual. <laughs> Is so valuable, right? It's just so valuable. So there's so there's a lot to learn from the approach, but then there's also something to learn as you know from the the topic that you all um, you know engaged, right? That that talking about reimagining theological pedagogies based on particularities is a huge task. So talk about that process a little bit. Talk about what you learned. Mm-hmm. From taking on such a big agenda, um, and 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 from my ear, a very worthwhile agenda to attempt.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna um, just give you one example, and um, it's actually something that Grace did, and it was in one of the case studies, and it's related to this topic of um, you know, intersectionality, a term that we use all the time. And we had already talked about, you know, amongst ourselves and in our classrooms, race, gender um, differences. We all agreed that class was the hardest thing to put our, you know, to name in a classroom. And then I remember a moment that I think I said something in in response to one of our African-American colleagues to say, oh, well, you've got race, you've got gender going on here and race on top of it. And then Grace very diplomatically said, "Um, we need to learn not to think of these as this and that because, um, and it was like one of those, of course, moments, but she was reminding us, these aren't sort of additives or that's just an add-on. No, they happen simultaneously. And, um, you know, it was just, it was a moment that I think I remember it acutely and it reshaped our conversations going forward, where we said, we who are practiced in this, we teach these materials, we need to learn to really um, incarnate what intersectionality means in a new way. Um, That would be just one very concrete example.
0: Doing doing analysis and complexity.
2: Yes. Case study helps that.
0: Grace, go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead.
2: No, not at all. So I think what happened in that moment was I think as a group, there was um, some energy put toward empathizing with In in the case study, it was an African-American woman student who felt marginalized and silenced by her white male colleagues. And so we had larger discussions about those gender dynamics. And there was a movement where the faculty participants were saying, yes, I know this experience as a woman, like people could identify as a woman. And then the comments were, and then you add race on top of that. So there was that. And so, yes, toward the end, I did say, look, I don't (laughs) I'm not trying to call people to the carpet This is not cancel culture, but let's not. Operate this way, right? Because for an African American woman, just like as me, as an Asian American woman, it's not first I'm a woman and then I'm Asian, right? I'm all of these things simultaneously, and that gentle correction was received so well. People were not defensive. It was like because I think we had built trust, right? And I again, I was not going to cancel joy or whatever, right? This was just we are trying to learn this together. Mm-hmm.
0: Which is Let key me trying, trying to learn things yes. together, trying to learn things in community, right? You're talking about the building of community and what you all did to build community. Try trying to learn things where mistakes are not annihilations, but <laughs> yes. right, you get to say something and be corrected and be able to get to the end of the meeting and come back to the next meeting. Um that's means right. that you're trying to build something that's not toxic, right? You're trying to build community that's not toxic. But keep going. You were you were continuing.
2: Um, if I could give a different example, you had asked uh, Lynn the question about examples, right? So one that struck out for me is um, one of our faculty participants, she herself um, English is her second language. And so she was noticing in the in her classroom context the ESL students, sometimes they take longer to write their papers, right? And there was a larger discussion at our institution about whether, I guess, the grad student council wanted to do away with late penalties. Um, So, you know, basically professors should just take work whenever the the, uh, work, work is done, knowing that it's easier for people who've been speaking English for 40 years or whatever, right? So we had a discussion about that. And some people felt it was colonial to, um, I was actually rereading the minutes, right? That is it colonial to impose late penalties or is this part of discipline and professionalism and whatever? And and one of our people said, actually, I don't assign late penalties. You know, this is her practice. And the group asked her, well, how many students do you teach? And she has less than 10, right? So it's it's Mm -hmm. one of those things where like, is it, you know, and and I had offered, I, I will out myself saying, I would resent it if the graduate student council told me I cannot assign late penalties, right? I mean, again, we all talked about balance, you know, accommodations and and professionalism and, you know, this, not the other thing. But this is the type of rich conversation we had, where for one person, it's part of colonial logic to enforce these institutional standards. For another person, like, how do I teach my 150 students, right, <laughs> without having a sense of, like, you got a midterm, it's going to be done during the middle of the term, right? It cannot be put off toward the end, especially if you're trying to do some sort of vertical learning thing. So that would be just another example.
0: So, I mean, I think it's marvelous that you you get to hear, because we need to keep reinforcing it. Context matters. Sometimes pra- what's pragmatic yes. in one context is oppressive in another context, right? And how you parcel right. those things um, helps to freshen the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you decide and I don't know if I'm backtracking in the conversation, how did you decide to write for a grant for from Wabash Center, right? So everybody has projects, kind of, right? People have project ideas. People want certain conversations to strengthen their teaching or to be about their teaching life in ways. How did you say, yes, I'm going to write this down and make this, a you know, apply for a Wabash grant?
1: Um, I originally drafted and conceived of the project and I was sitting at um, the CTSA, the Catholic Theological Society of America meeting, and just thinking hard about um, the fact that I missed having conversations with, particularly where I was mid-career, with other scholars who had been teaching the same material. And I just wanted to have new conversation partners. And I thought it was so important um, teaching as a heart, as the heartbeat of my vocation And I just thought it was so important, especially I think post-pandemic, we're not meeting with each other in so many ways. How could we come together um, across? And it was I was was very deliberate, as you said, curated. Um, I wanted somebody from California, and I wanted somebody from Canada, Mm -hmm. just because I think these these um, we each share uh, and deeply different context. so it just it seemed exciting to me. I, mm-hmm. I it felt like it, I said at one time I feel like we're a little mini mini UN talking about theological education. Um, so that was the the driving. Uh, so I, in in your imagination,
0: you created what you want. You imagined what you needed, and you asked Wabash Center to fund that. That's the best story I've heard in so in such a long time, <laughs> right? What better way to use our resources to fund what is in your imagination and what will strengthen your teaching? Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, thank you. Well, and I think it did sort of prick my conscience. I thought, this is really interesting. I've been making my students do case studies, and we've never done this. And you had this case study. And I thought, (laughs) this is kind of, you know, flipping the, the, you know, flipping the classroom, right? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I think that was the Mm -hmm. other piece that was just very inviting. So what
0: about dissemination? Have you all thought about um, either dissemination of the project in a whole or how have bits and pieces of the project affected already reports of affecting uh, classrooms mm-hmm. and teaching and teaching life? So certainly the camaraderie that has been developed is no small thing, right? We know from communal care, right. from self-care for to, to enhance right. the possible longevity of our careers, we have to have friends. We have to make, mm-hmm. yeah, and can't I have you can't just see your friends once a year at guild meetings, <laughs> right? You have to have, and you also have to have relationships beyond your own individual school location, right? That networking is so critically important. Um, give us, give us a little insight on both reports of, oh, I put this in use in my own classroom, whatever I've learned, and then how you will disseminate, do dissemination for the whole
2: project. So, Lynn, you are a part of the dissemination in even having this podcast featuring joy and me <laughs> so that is one piece of it mm-hmm. um joy if you want to take on the the other ones but yeah, we 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 went through things that we probably are not going to do meaning we're probably not going to put together an edited volume Yay. Um, <laughs> yeah so happy about that i'm sorry right <laughs> right right, right. Um, but the, the podcast is a piece of it. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then um
1: I think that we sort of have this sort of a practical side to it, meaning um mm-hmm. we decided we're gonna swap syllabi. Um, that's yeah. simply that this would be really helpful with that so we've we, there's eight of us split up in teams of two and two people are doing the syllabi collection. And then same thing mm-hmm. for bibliography. We're all aware that this is an exploding um, field, and we each have expertise. So some we're creating those that as well together. And then um, we did go back and forth about this longer project, and we felt like the goals were met by the um, the the grant itself, but. Uh, Dr. Gandolfo and I um, are um, thinking about an article out of it because that's what we felt like, the gleanings we thought would be very helpful to to folks. Um, And then you asked another question that was interesting. Um, So one of our uh, participants shared with us uh, a method I'd never used: learning circles. Um, It was a pedagogical thing about how to, I've used the fishbowl. It was a different version of that. And I thought, oh, this is really helpful. And I haven't had a chance since finishing the grant to institute it, but it is coming into my spring semester class. So I think the kind of on the ground integration of some of these just, um, I do this, you do that, um, it's is, is going to happen. Um, mm-hmm. So the, the reason why I said
0: yay to no anthology or is no, <laughs> <laughs> because we don't, Water Center doesn't want the project, the dissemination of the projects or even the project themselves to be burdensome. Right? So invariably, <laughs> people will say, I will do this project and then I'll write an anthology or I'll write a critical essay that has to go through peer review or I'll write a book. right? That to me, I, people can do that if that is their heart's desire. But there are so many other ways, like being on our own podcast to disseminate your learnings. That ticks mm-hmm. the box and that communicates what the joy and and the uh, progress that the project has made. Trying to convince mm-hmm. colleagues not to burden themselves by getting grants or agreeing to workshops or these kinds of things is a learning that we're that we're trying to instill in people. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm very happy that you all um, have factored smaller things in that are equally as significant, um, and not burdened yourselves. What's the next project? Invariably, projects that are this organic have another project that will or could grow out of it so like are you all going to break off like a spin-off like a movie or something (laughs) a (laughs) A movie (laughs) would be fun
1: Um, (laughs) um, um i'll just say for myself that um and Well, let me say one thing before that, that um, we all had an opportunity to also share when books were being published. Grace had a new book that's out this fall. And so there was a lot of support for actually um, finding out what each other is doing. And that was just terrific. Um, Dr. Coster has another book coming out. She's just shared that with us. So I think that's that's kind of around the penumbra of what we're doing. Um, I'm about to uh, submit a grant um, called doing saving work. It's a riff off of Rebecca chops um, book on that on theological education, and particularly thinking about vocation again, and um, vocation uh, discernment with women in ministry, you know, uh, now that we're 50 years, maybe uh, a lot of schools different, but into uh, theological education with women, uh, we may feel like it's one and done, but I don't believe it is. And so that Mm -hmm. that's, that's Uh, related to this project in certain ways. Grace, what's your
2: book? (laughs) The book is called My Body, Their Baby, A Progressive Christian Vision for Surrogacy. And that was published uh, August 15th uh, by Stanford UP. And when I told people about it, and I told them, I'm getting over my shyness about self promotion. And one by one, people said, Well, look, I'll get my institutional library to pick it up. Right. And other people shared, Oh, you know, hey, the Christian century just, it, you know, covered my book or whatever. So, absolutely, I think the relationships will continue to develop. Um, the type of thing that Joy mentioned about you know, one person shared this really interesting exercise, the way she divided her class, you know, she divided her class in such a way where on one day, you're a speaker on another day, you cannot speak like not one word, you have to keep a journal, and be an active listener, you know, things like that, we had a lot of discussions about, well, I taught it this way, and then the pandemic happened. Mm -hmm. And through teaching it online, some things were not as successful as the in-person model. So there's going to, I think we're going to keep sharing ideas and resources about this new era <laughs> that we're living. So I'm really looking forward to the, you know, the, the syllabi swap, the, the compendium of bibliography, uh, sorry, bibliographic resources. Um, the movie Lynn, I think is going to have to wait.
1: <laughs>
2: right. It could have been. I role. hate to dash your dreams. Yeah. <laughs> So, but you know, I'll I'll come look you up at the Wabash reception at the AAR. We'll be there. We we can talk about that. Yeah.
0: There's there's something um, both brave and courageous and ordinary about the project, the project that you all put together, and the fact that you were brave enough and courageous enough to convene yourselves, right, to do something important. Um, I think is is so heartwarming, so impactful, but people let these opportunities go by. So I applaud you for your bravery to convene each other.
1: Mm-hmm. Thank you. That's very gracious of you. We had a very interesting conversation about brave spaces and safe spaces. and I think we okay. were a combination mm-hmm. of a safe space and a brave space. Um, Agreed. Our best.
2: And I and I just want to make sure that um the the types of diversity we were talking about it wasn't just race and gender and class. We had a lot of sexuality uh, discussions. We had the geographic thing, you know, people from South Korea, Hong Kong, Malaysia. We had interfaith discussions, you know, combating anti-Semitism and Islamophobia. So you know, we, we may have used the words race, gender, and class a lot more in this podcast, but it really was covering, you know, this and then even questions of age, too, right? Mm-hmm. Young 20 year old students versus, you know, 40, 50 year old ones. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, it, it really was a very, you know, we all have, it's like when you fly Southwest and they're like, you have choices in air travel and, you know, <laughs> thank you for choosing us. I, I honestly feel the same way. Like all of us are incredibly busy people. We got our, you know, teaching, we got our research, we got our responsibilities, but it truly was for me, time well spent, you know, to be tearing with these women theological educators about once a month. It is fantastic. I
0: mean, it, it, it sounds like um, it was energizing and refreshing and life-giving. Um, and yes, And that's, that's what we hope for people, right? That's what we hope. So so people report to us that they have those experiences when they come into our workshops. What we hope is that, that our grant projects will take, will create that similar kind of experience of life-giving, refreshment, um, deep impact into people's teaching lives. In their own context, and great and Joy, that's exactly what you did with the with the funds and the project that you created. So, well done.
2: Thank you. Thank you. And again, I give the credit to Joy and Liz for convening us, for you know figuring out how to you know how to organize us. Basically, I mean, again, they had the vision, they executed, they asked each of us for their, I mean, for their own particular reasons. And I was glad to be a part of it. Thank you. To our
0: listeners, the Waback Center website is the place. Look on our website for information concerning our cohort groups, our resources like our Journal one Teaching, our blogs, our syllabus collection. And look on our website for precisely what Joy and Grace are talking about, that we give grants for uh, projects, short projects, long projects, in between projects. Uh, We also give grants that are by application, by proposal. So if you have an imaginative idea, if you want to convene uh, conversations that will be helpful to you in your teaching and your teaching life, please investigate doing a grant proposal. A special thanks to podcast producer Rachel Mills and the music which frames our podcast is the original composition of Paul Myrie. The Wabash Center for more than 28 years is exclusively funded by Lilly Endowment Incorporated. And we are out. How was that, Paul?